0: Thank you for listening to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey, thanks for coming. Uh, My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist for joining us online. Glad to have you uh, as well. Uh, Welcome to October, everybody. I feel like it's like the one Sunday a year I get to wear this, but I did, to be fair, to be clear, this is fake fall, everybody. You know that's that's what happens, right? Because in two weeks it's going to be a hundred degrees. And we're all going to be angry, and throw our pumpkin spice lattes out the window. Um, so anyway, welcome to uh, to October, everybody. We are walking through. Actually, we're finishing up our uh, our series called the Almighty Dollar. This week, it's a series that we've talked through regarding giving and stewardship and. And that sort of thing. And so today we're going to be talking about generosity as a whole. But before we get started, I need to apologize to you all. Um, I uh, I listened back to uh, to my last two weeks of, of my messages. Um, and essentially I need to apologize for apologizing. Because the last two weeks, man, I really framed it as like, hey, we kind of have to walk through this. Like we kind of have to talk about money. I know we don't want to. It may make you feel uncomfortable. And like the way that I framed it just kind of made me feel kind of gross because I want to show up and be excited to talk about what the Bible says that we should talk about, right? I want to show up and and be excited and happy um, about even the, the difficult conversations that we need to have regarding scripture. And this is one of those difficult conversations. So again, I apologize uh, for Apologizing, okay, but we, uh, we in the church, oftentimes now we treat this idea of money as, as like the one thing that we don't want to talk about. Like we're not going to to talk about money. Everything else is on the table, right? And not even in the church. Like even in our personal lives, right? Like we are now willing to enter into talking about uh, uh, politics, right? We'll air our grievances on Facebook. We'll talk through different things with people, the the depths of our lives, but rarely is it that you will find somebody that is going to talk to you about their bank account. Rarely will they talk to you about generosity or anything like that. And so in the church, we need to be willing to talk about that, not just from the stage, but also uh, in in community with one another. And I get it. Like, everybody gets squeamish. and That's why it's like, oh, you guys feel weird. That means I'm going to feel weird. It was my weirdness projected onto your weirdness. I don't know. Um, but we essentially have talked about that everything is God's, right? Everything is God's, not just the 10% tithe that we talked about two weeks ago. Um, everything is God's because God has blessed us with everything. And so we should indeed then hold those things, all of our things, all of our blessings um, open handed because God has blessed us with those things. So, so to hold those things open handed should actually be a, a, a natural obedience to the gospel, because, because man, throughout Scripture, God talks about money. Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, right? Paul's letters—we're going to be in Second uh, Corinthians today, so you can flip open to there. But Paul's letters, like all of those different things, like money, is talked about throughout Scripture. And so, when we talked about money uh, two weeks ago, and then last week we showed uh, Bill Wilkinson's video, his testimony uh, regarding his, his money, like his finances, and how God really moved and, and changed his life because of his finances and that sort of thing. If you didn't catch that video, by the way, go to our Facebook page, watch that video. And if you haven't liked our Facebook page, also like our Facebook page. Because we're really trying to get to that thousand level, and we're sitting at like 970. So do me a solid, okay? Okay. Anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. Um, now, I know some of you in here are going to go and unlike our page just because I said that. I know how y'all work. Humans. Anyway, um, but so, so we, we talked about those different things. We talked about, like I said, giving, and we talked about, or we showed Bill's video last week. And, and we always get two different reactions, or at least I have this time. We got two different reactions. The first reaction is from some people who are like, thank you so much for talking to us about our finances from the stage, we need to know what the Bible says regarding our finances. We should talk about it more, as a matter of fact. I'm like, thank you so much. I want to give you a hug, um, like that. Like that's good. But then the other response that we tend to get is on the complete opposite side. Shocker. There's no gray area, like everything else in our lives right now, right? So on the other side is the church man. All you guys want to do is talk to me about money. That's all you want. That's all you're interested in is is our money. And, and to be fair, I think those two points of view are not rooted in your belief about money. I actually think those two points of view are, are rooted in your belief about God. That, that changes things, because most people who have issues with the church as a whole are the ones who would usually side on this side over here, right? Like, those people who say, no, all the church wants is my money. That's all they want to talk about. Like, man, get a job or whatever, right? Like, like, those people who have that mindset tend to have issues with the church as a whole, not issues just with the church regarding money. And these people over here, these people who are like, yep, we should talk about it more, those are the people who usually don't have issues with the church as a whole, okay? Usually don't have issues regarding belief or scripture or anything like that. Here's the reality, for people on both sides of the spectrum, that we talk about money here once every 18 months to two years. Yeah, I feel like that's a good time period for us to be able to talk about finances. Paul, Jesus, God, all of them talk about finances a ton in scripture. So once every 18 months to two years, I feel like is fitting. Beyond that, we would only talk about money more than that if we were going through like a book of the Bible and the text specifically talked about money. Then we would walk into that. But can I just say, like if your, if your view of giving, if your view of money really falls on this side of things, of like the church is just out to get my money and I'm gonna give, but only because I feel guilty about giving and the pastor, this is a third week in a row, he's gonna beat me up about my money, so I should, okay, fine, I feel guilty enough, I should probably, like if this is where you land over here, do not give, I don't want it. God doesn't want it even beyond that. He actually talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful gi- giver, not a guilty giver Right? Not somebody who's in here is like, okay, if I want to come back next week, I better at least pretend to put something in those black boxes in the back, like folded up, napkin, whatever. We've gotten it before. Right? Like, like I better feel, like, like, I feel guilty enough that I should. Don't give. Don't give. If that's your view of church, let us work on your view of church and your view of God before you ever write a check to First Baptist Hanford. Okay? I do not want you to give. So if that's your point of view, hear it from me first. Do not give. My stewardship committee is probably sweating right now. But don't do it. So let's start with this then. Instead of starting with your view of money, let's actually start with our view of God. And I'm not just talking to those people who maybe have an issue with the church and money. I'm talking to everybody now at this point. Okay? So let's start with this. If you're here today, actually if you live in the western hemisphere, okay, you have an opinion about God. Everybody in here has an opinion about God, okay? It would be very difficult for you to live in America and not have an opinion about God. Good, bad, or ugly, you have an opinion, okay? So whether you're, man, I believe in God, I wanna worship God, I wanna live my life to honor God, or I don't believe that there is a God, right? I only believe in natural occurrences and there was no higher power that helped create those natural occurrences, or you're completely and totally apathetic uh, uh, to either side. You have an opinion about God. God And hopefully you being here this morning or joining us online, like hopefully that tells us that, that you want to at least know more about him. So when we're talking about the God that we worship, okay, the God that we worship here at FBH is the God of the Bible. It's the God of Abraham. It's the God of Isaac. It's the God of Jacob. It's the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. It's the disciples. It's Paul. It's you. It's me. That is the God that we believe in, the one who created everything. And the reason that we know the specifics about God, the reason we know who God is, the reason we know about his character, the reason we know that God is love and God is just and God is wrath and God is patient and God is kind and all of those things is because scripture has laid it out for us. So if that is the God that you believe in and you affirm scripture, then we should probably act according to that. Right? You either affirm everything that scripture says, or if you say, hey, I don't think that's true in scripture, you've now calling all of it into question. And so here's the deal, though. I actually think that what we believe about God, that we are okay with the vast majority of what scripture says. Like it says in the book of James, right? The book of James says the true religion is to care for the orphaned and the widow. You'd be hard pressed to find somebody who's like, you know what, that's a bad idea, I don't, think, I don't think we should do that. I don't believe that that scripture is, uh, is true. Right? Because, because everybody, regardless of who you are, if, if you're somebody who doesn't believe in God or somebody who does believe in God, you're like, yeah, if the church, okay, if the church is going to do anything, we should probably care for those people who can't care for themselves well. Right, like that's, like overall that's a, that's a heartwarming type of scripture that nobody tends to have any issue with. And then those of us who do believe in God, right, we, we love John 3.16, makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Right, we're like, oh, we're going to heaven, God sent his son on our behalf to be able for, for us to join him in heaven forever. Like that feels good. And guess what, we like that scripture because it demands nothing of us. Nothing of us. Right, and so those scriptures are like, oh yeah, we're good. Like, I, I affirm those scriptures. I, affirm, I believe those things. But then we get to, like, harder scriptures, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And this scripture is going to challenge maybe your worldview. This is what it says. It says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? <gasps> Let's keep going. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now all of a sudden, we have a text here that is going to challenge our worldview. It is going to challenge how it is that we work out the way that we live our lives according to Scripture. And we all rush, like all of us immediately like rush to the part about homosexuality, right? Because like hot button topic, we got to talk about homosexuality. When reality, this is actually talking about all types of sexual immorality, right? It's talking about pornography. It's talking about sleeping together outside of wedlock. It's talking about cheating on your spouse. And then it talks about homosexuality. It's not a hierarchy of belief or a hierarchy of sinfulness, But now our worldview all of a sudden with this scripture has been called into question. What it is that we believe about the world has been called into question. And so because of that, are we going to conform now to what the Bible says is true and good for moral living, what the Bible says we need to do regarding salvation, or are we going to continue to believe what it is that we want to believe and only affirm scripture when it benefits us? That's the hard part. That's the challenging part. So if you do believe that Scripture needs to shape your view of the world, and if you say you are a Bible-believing Christian, and you say, I believe all the things about God because it is affirmed in Scripture, then you probably need to affirm everything that was written in Scripture. If that is you, then money, and more specifically generosity, go hand in hand with this. But the hard part is it challenges our worldview. It challenges the way that we live. It challenges the way that we act. Check out what it says. Going to, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 today. So you can flip open or click open. Uh, this first part, it's not going to be on the screen. It's like 15 verses long. Um, and so we're not going to put it up on the screen, but you can follow along. It says this, and Paul was writing to a church in Corinth, Okay. I haven't started yet. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. This is letter two. There are three letters to Corinth, to the church in Corinth. We have two of them. If you want to talk about how the Bible came to be, that's a conversation for a later day. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let's call time out right there. Okay, Verses 1 and 2. So Paul was writing to this church in Corinth. What we need to know about this church in Corinth, we're going to find out a little bit later. This is a church of means. Okay, this is a church that most likely had more wealth than many of the other churches simply because of where they were in this town of Corinth, this trading sort of epicenter that they were. They most likely had wealth. And Paul was writing to them about this church in Macedonia. And the first, one of the first things he says in verse 2, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, Welled up in rich generosity. Hold on to that. Let's keep going. Verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just that he had, had. Excuse me, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, and this is again Paul writing to this church in Corinth, Paul is saying, Hey, look, but since you're good at everything, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel, excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for the sake, but for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Excuse me, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He's like, hey, look, some of you are going to be rich. Some of you are going to be poor. The goal is for equality that nobody would have need. That's the equality that he's talking about there. That no one would have need. So hey, if you, if you got a lot, man, you, don't worry. You don't have too much because you can give to these people who, who have a little bit. But don't worry, they will have enough because of the people who have a lot. Because of your generosity. And so as we're continuing to talk through this today, I just want you to be aware. We're not just talking about money. Okay? And yeah, we're in the middle of a financial series and money certainly plays into this. We're talking about everything that God has gifted you with, all of your blessings. If if you've gone to church for more than 10 years, you've probably heard a financial series all about your time, your treasures, and your talent, right? The three T's. And so when we're talking about the the, the idea of generosity, those are the things that we're talking about. God's blessed you with all of it. So how generous are we being with every single piece of our lives? Because it's all of God's anyway. So I'm gonna give you a couple things that I want you to hold on to. The first thing is this the Bible says that we give to grow our character. We give to grow our character. You'll see that back in verse seven. It says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love we have we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Right? Like I said, this church, man, they were good at a lot of stuff, it looks like. No other thing they weren't good at, it looks like generosity right Paul's sitting here and he's like hey look you guys are good at everything but let me actually compare you to this Macedonian church this Macedonian church who's being severely persecuted who has no money and regardless of the fact that those two things are true generosity welled up within them they were willing to give everything that they had for the sake of the gospel and so Paul's like hey look this is what you need to be about Corinth this little church, this little poor church over here, and they are marked by their generosity. And so the Bible says, in order to, to, to grow our character, we have to be generous. And this is something we have to work towards. It's not something that simply falls into our laps, it's not that easy. Right, like in the same way that you have to make in, intentional decisions in order to be a man or a woman of character, right? We've all made those intentional decisions, usually on December 31st at about 11 p.m. Right? I'm going to make an intentional decision about me being a better person. Whether it's this year or next year or whenever, I need to make an intentional decision in order to do so. And those intentional decisions are difficult, so even though this church in Corinth had means, had wealth, they still had to intentionally be generous. One of the things that, that I always wanted to, to make sure that I did as a dad was I wanted to really, really make sure that I was at as many of my kids' functions as I could possibly be at, right? That's actually one of the benefits of being a pastor is that I, I, have, a, I have a more flexible schedule. So if I need to take off a little bit early in order to go to a four-hour swim meet that seemingly never ends, I can do so right? Because I remember that that my parents did a really good job at that. They took me to games, they watched baseball, they watched soccer, they watched water polo, like they did all of the things in order to make me feel good about myself, in order to make sure that, that I knew that I was loved and my parents cared about me. And so as a dad, I want that to be true of my kids as well, which means that I have to intentionally decide to do those things. It would be very easy For me to remain sitting in my office and continuing to do whatever work that I'm doing for that day and just say, hey, I'm going to be about 30 minutes late, which turns into an hour late, which turns in, hey, I'll just meet you at home. I have to intentionally make that choice. If I'm going to build my character in such a way that I'm going to be a dad to where my kids get older, they know, oh, dad cared about me. He valued me. He valued the things that I did. I need to make that intentional decision. But even beyond that, when I'm thinking back to my childhood and the things that my parents did, man, my dad coached so many of my teams, and he knew nothing about soccer, right? But man, he was he was the soccer coach. And then I started playing water polo in high school, and he knew nothing about what I mean, nothing about water polo. Like, think about how much you know about water polo, and subtract 100 from it. That's how much my dad knew about water polo, right? But still, he came up to the coach and he's like, "Hey, you need someone to keep stats for you?" And the coach was like, "Yes." So every single one of my water polo games, he sat on the bench next to me in some of them. But he sat on the bench and simply took, some of you got that, some of you took, took stats for my team. And I knew that he was there and he shared that in me. Like that, he wanted that to be built into who he was as a dad. And so now even for me, right, I, like I have to intentionally decide that I am going to generously give my time. It's definitely not my talent when it comes to coaching my kids' teams, but I'm generously going to give my time to those kids so that my kids can then look back and think, oh, man, I remember, Dad, you remember when we coached that team and that one kid scored a goal on our own team, like all of those. Like that, I want that to be part of it, but, but it has to be an intentional decision on our part. You have to intentionally decide to be generous because I want my character. We want our character to be one that is marked by generosity. And that doesn't happen apart from sacrificially giving and making those intentional decisions. So That's the first one. The next one is this, is that the Bible says that we need to give to show our love. That comes from 2 Corinthians 8:8. It says this, I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Hey, look, and that's a terrifying verse right there, by the way, right? That's like when your parents are like, hey, I'm not upset. Just tell me the truth. (laughs) That's a trap is what that is, everybody. Right? But that's essentially what Paul was saying here. He's like, hey, look, I'm not commanding you. I'm not going to force you to do this. But I want to make sure I'm testing the, the, the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I want to make sure that these two things are actually lining up. Because it's, it's very easy for us to tell people that we want to be generous. Right? That's an easy thing to say. It's like, it's like going back to what was said in the book of James. Like, yeah, of course that, that if you're a Christian, you should care for the orphan and the widow. Everybody agrees with that. Of course I want to be more generous. But then oftentimes we give the excuse, whether it's out loud or in our own head, that, man, if I, just, if I had a little bit more money, I would, I would be willing. Or if I had a little bit more time, my schedule is really slammed right now. Or, if, man, if I was just maybe a little bit more qualified, then maybe at that point I would, I would be willing to give, right? We talk about generosity kind of like we talk about our diets, right? Like, like, all of us, we all know it's a good idea to eat healthy, to get 30 minutes of exercise a day, and to get eight hours of sleep a night. Like, all of us know that. I would question whether or not all of us believe that, though. Okay, we all know it in our heads, and if all it took was us talking about knowing it, man, we would all be ripped and ready for bikini season. You know what I mean? Like, we'd be ready to go. But the reality is, is that belief actually yields results. Belief yields results. We have to do more than talk about it. It forces your hand to do something, not just think about something. To move towards Jesus is what it forces you to do. Because Jesus loved people enough to be sacrificial even in his giving as well, which is the next point. is The Bible says we give to be more like Jesus, that's why we give. It's actually in verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Okay, don't think as Jesus is like Scrooge McDuck diving into coins in this, in this instance, okay? It's not a, finan- it's a financial metaphor, is really that we're talking about here. Okay, because what he's saying is, He's like, hey, look, Jesus who has existed forever, by the way, oftentimes you just think that Jesus shows up on the scene every December 25th and in your front yard nativity, right? Like that's not the way it goes. Jesus has existed forever. According to John 1, he's been in existence all the way through back, back into creation and before. Jesus is eternal. That means forever. Okay, so he has always existed, so he's fully God, and while he was hanging out with God, it was decided that he would generously empty himself of the privileges of deity and come down to earth. Meaning, he was up there, and it was like, hey, I think it's about that time. And he was like, yep, you're right, God. So he did not grasp equality with God, something to be, to be reached for, but rather he, he generously emptied himself of the privileges of deity, and came down to earth, stretched himself into skin, and then willingly laid his life down for the world. That's the generosity that Paul is talking about here. So Paul is saying, hey, look, if Jesus is willing to do that, a king becoming a peasant for the sake of others, we should seek to do the same thing with our own generosity. He's thinking of everything, every part of it. Look, you want to be more like Jesus? Jesus sacrifice his entire life in order to be generous to the world. Hey, If Jesus is doing that, what is it that you are doing for him? What does your generosity then look like? Paul continues in chapter 9, it starts in in verse 5, and he doesn't start, he doesn't stop uh, using the language of, of being generous. It says this, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Let's pause right there at the end of verse 5 for just a second. Has anybody ever gotten like that invite, to like a, um, a kid's birthday party and you're like, oh man, I'm so excited. I'm going to buy them a toy and it's going to be cute and wrapped in this packaging. And you come and you give it and you're excited to give it because you were invited and you were aware that you were invited and you like that kid and, and you love those parents. And so I'm generously going to give a, a gift to them. Versus Man, I, oh, I just remembered. I just remembered I have a party I have to be at this afternoon. And you show up to the party you didn't know it was a party that you were supposed to bring presents to or you didn't care about it, and so all of a sudden you're fumbling through your wife's purse trying to figure out which gift card you haven't used yet, right? Anybody been there? Okay, same type of thing that we're talking about here. Look, we're not giving out of guilt. We're not giving out of compulsion. Okay, we are giving because we want to be generous with that gift. That's what Paul is continuing to tell this church in Corinth. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Farmers perk up. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Hear that. It's not so you will get rich, I will never say, nor will I ever believe that if you give us a dollar, you're going to get a hundred. The Bible doesn't say that. It never talks about that, okay? But what it does talk about here, specifically in verse eight, is, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will have everything you need for the good work that God needs you to do on this earth. It does not say that you are going to be a millionaire. It does not say that you are going to be cured of cancer. It does not say anything like that. It says that you will be equipped for every good work. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Verse 6, going back, it says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Meaning the Bible says we give because sowing comes before reaping. So you don't have to be a farmer in here to be able to understand this analogy and if you're having trouble, it's relatively simple. What we are today, who you are today as a person is the collective decisions of every decision that you have made for however long that you've been making decisions for yourself. That's who you are. Your personality, your traits, apart from Christ renewing you, Every decision that you have made has led you to where you are sitting today, right? So I think most of us would agree with that. So those of us who then act wisely today will have wisdom to make wise decisions in the future. Those of us who choose to eat healthy today, you still won't have abs tomorrow, but maybe eventually you'll get there. Right? The cumulative decisions that you have made lead to where you are standing today. Why? Because sowing comes before reaping. You have to be willing to plant first and be patient and wait for the harvest to come so you can then reap. And so, for those of you who are generous today, you'll be even more generous tomorrow. We sow before we reap. Being generous is not something that happens once you finally become a millionaire. Or once your calendar finally frees up or once you finally retire ask the vast majority of people who are retired they're busier now than they were beforehand right like all of these things all of these things lead back to the idea that that hey it's not about how much you give it's how much faith you have in God all of these things Generosity is something that begins when you decide that your worship of God is more important than your next trip to Hobby Lobby or Home Depot. I mentioned both so no one can get upset. Everybody can be mad at me, okay? Right. Once we decide that, once we decide that that is true, that's when we start truly believing. And this isn't just for generosity. This is for saving as well. If you begin saving now, you'll have more for tomorrow, it's crazy, it's like the habits that you, that you establish today are going to influence you for the rest of your life and we have to sow before we reap. You don't wake up and are wise. Ask any high school student. Right? Like, like you don't just wake up one day and you're like, oh man, I've got wisdom all of a sudden. No, you have to live life in order to get wisdom and you have to make good choices and as you make good choices or bad choices for that matter you then get to look back and be like, okay I can make better choices now. And so we're talking about when you, 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 know, you reap what you sow in a positive way. We can recognize that, hey, if I just give, if I start giving now and whatever it is that we're talking about, time, treasures, talent, whatever, if I start giving now then when I am a millionaire, it's gonna be a whole lot easier to part with that hundred thousand dollars. If I start giving now, when when I make minimum wage and I can part with that dollar and fifty cents of my fifteen dollar an hour paycheck, then it's gonna be a whole lot easier to part with that fifteen hundred later, or that fifteen thousand later, or God willing, fifteen million later. Because sowing comes before reaping. You have to make those intentional. Decisions. And lastly, and we're gonna take a right turn here, but lastly, the Bible says we give because it holds believers together. Second Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. It says, as a result of your ministry, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to for your generosity to them, and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Their ministry was their generosity. That was their, their ministry. Verse 14, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Their ministry was their generosity. Like, that was what they were known for. And I think it's, it, it's easy on this side, like, like to, to, to think, oh, they just had it all together and, like, they, they were all unified and they all knew what it was they were doing. But, but the reality is, is that our mission here hasn't changed. From the early church to now, our mission here has not changed. Acts 4, 32 and 33. It says, now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. They understood their mission. They understood why it was they were on this earth. They understood why it was they were doing the things that they were doing. Jesus didn't enlist these followers to a life of leisure. They enlisted into a life of service and a life of generosity because everything that they had was his anyway. And so while each person had a different task, each and every one of them had the same calling to fulfill the Great Commission in their lifetime. That has not changed. Our mission as a church is to fulfill the Great Commission in our lifetime. That's the goal. They had one leader. And it wasn't Paul, and it wasn't Peter then, and it's not Peter here. It was Jesus the entire time, right? That, like, That is who it was. And their goal was to communicate the gospel to all people. And these early disciples, they did more for the spread of Christianity than any generation of followers since then. Why? What was their secret? Why were they all about getting the word out? Can I just say that maybe it was because they were unified in heart and in soul? that they all understood what was at stake, that they all were willing to go out on a limb to be overly generous, to be overly service-oriented to other people, that that is ultimately what their goal was. They didn't care about specific ministries. They understood that the call to proclaim Christ superseded everything, even your checkbook. And because of that, they were family in relationship. They were unified by vision. They were unified by their calling. They shared the same spiritual father, Yahweh. Like they were unified together. They shared the same spiritual birth, the same spiritual family. Some of you old Southern Baptists in here will appreciate this. And I I almost got killed one time because I said I didn't know who Bill and Gloria Gaither were. Some of you don't. You should look them up. It's a good time. But Bill and Gloria Gaither they, they are the Gaither family musical people, but they have, a, they have a song. They have a lot of songs, but they had a, a song um, that describes this familial relationship. It says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I am a part of the family, the family of God. I'm not going to sing it. You guys can look it up later. But beyond being family, man, they were friends in this fellowship. They shared their lives. They shared their possessions. They were generous. It went beyond a kind word and a pat on the back. And how is your weekend going? Cool. Let's do it again next week. They fulfilled physical and practical needs that were evident in the community. They were on mission. And that mission forced them towards generosity. These men and women, they shared an enterprise together. They didn't assemble merely for family gatherings or making sure, that, uh, making sure that just physical needs were met for the sake of their physical needs. They came together in order to attain an objective. And their ministry was their generosity. And so as we're talking about this idea of money or time or talent, like whatever it is that we are talking about it, man, I, just, I would hope that our church would be marked by one with Generosity, that people would see the ministry of Christ because of our generosity, because of our self sacrifice. And you want to be contrary to the world? You want to do things differently? You want people to notice who the church is? Be generous. I can't think of anything that is more countercultural in today's society than generosity that would unify a church. That would unify God's church if we were just simply going to say, "I'm going to be marked by my generosity, not my own selfish desires, not the things that I want, not my pleasures, but by generosity because I'm on mission for Christ and I'm going to be marked. If nothing else, I will be marked by how much I am willing to give." Church, can you imagine just what that would look like? You imagine that people. Would, would be willing to walk into church, not because that they were worried about someone was going to judge them for something, but rather, I'm going to walk in because, man, this church has been so generous with everything. that They have held everything that they had open-handed. And not the church as the organization, but the church as the organism. That these people, man, I'm, I'm willing to go out of my way to make sure that everybody else has everything else taken care of before, before I'm going to take care of me. Because our ministry is our generosity. And we need to be unified in that. And so today we get an opportunity to celebrate that. We're going to transition to our time of communion. And so if you didn't get a, uh, any of the communion elements, you can just raise your hand. we got a couple people coming by. They're happy to, to give you some communion. And at First Baptist Hanford, we believe in what's called the open table. An open table essentially means that you don't have to be a member of our church. In order to partake in communion, we do ask, though, that you're a member of the body of Christ, meaning that you have said yes to Jesus before. And communion is an opportunity for us to think back on what Christ did for us. The sacrifice that he made on the cross for us. And so when we're talking about this idea of generosity. We're talking about this idea of giving. I would like you to just think on and focus on, after you get right with God... Think on and focus on how is it that you need to live a life of greater generosity? Is it with your money? Is it with your calendar? Is it with your talent? I don't know what it is. Take it up with God. But true belief, if you say this is what it is that I believe, true belief demands fruit. It demands an outcome. And so think about whether it's something that you know, Or something it is that you truly believe so the band is going to play a song we're going to partake together but before we do if you have not yet said yes to jesus or maybe you need to re-up maybe it's time for you to say hey i need to recommit my life to you i need to live a life of generosity you can pray along with me now why don't you bow your heads heavenly father god I, i pray that as a church that we would be marked by generosity that our generosity would flow into our ministry, that that we would be known for being generous. And that doesn't mean we can't also be known for being honest and being loving and all of those things, God, but I pray today that, that we would recognize our generosity is of vast importance. So God, make us a generous people. And God, search our hearts now. Holy Spirit, help us to understand where we need to be more generous. Reveal that to us. Is it our time? Is it our money? Is it our talent? Spirit, reveal that to each and every one of us this morning. Where where is it that we need to be open-handed? And for those of us who need to say yes to you, whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the millionth time, I just ask that you pray along with me now. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that. And maybe it's with your generosity. Maybe it's with something else that you're dealing with. Maybe you're holding your resources too tightly. I don't know, whatever sin that is, just admit that now. And Father B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. That he was generous with his life. And so now we choose to follow you every single day so we can be generous with ours. Father, mark us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray.